This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green. Welcome, welcome. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think that another month is gone. We're into February. Um, I hope your year is off to a great start. If you uh, did dry January, congratulations. I hope you were able to complete it. If not, and you just enjoyed drinks, congratulations to you too. And I hope you had some great pours. We got a great episode for you uh, this week. Tasting Notes with Chad Watson, a.k.a. My Daily Bourbon. Talking about bottom shelf bourbons and whiskeys how to find those, which ones you should go for, things like that. And then our conversation this week is with country musician and Kentucky native J.D. Shelburne. It's a fun episode. You don't want to miss any of it. And I'm not going to talk anymore, so let's just get to it. It's almost time. Where did I, where, where did I put those? Here they are. <laughs> it's time for Tasting Notes. We're back again for another Tasting Notes. And joining me once again is Chad Watson, you've seen him on Instagram. He said I could shorten his his intro, so I decided to do it this time. So, Chad, Chad, welcome back. Hey, man, thanks for having me. <laughs> I figured we have, we'd have a little bit of fun, and and I feel like this tasting notes could be fun because, like I said uh, previously, back in the summer, we talked to you about uh, starting a whiskey collection. You know, we did some do's and don'ts on uh, bourbon whiskey gifts, uh, but I always feel like some people are nervous or just. You know, nowadays everyone wants to buy the nice new shiny things that are coming out for what seems to be absurd amounts of money. But to me, there's just something good about a quote unquote bottom shelf bourbon. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? I agree with you 100%. Um, and not that I want to consider this a bottom shelf bourbon, what I'm about to sip on right now. It's just something that uh, for the money, I, I really enjoy it. And that's country smooth. Um, it is, I mean, you see how much is left in that bottle. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've never had two-year-old MGP taste this good. I mean, I know it's blended with older MGP stock, but it's just something that's like 30 bucks or something in my area that, um, I mean, it's just nice to sip on. And this is, I'll come home from work and I'll have a glass or two of this. I'll mix it cocktails. Uh, it doesn't break the bank. So I'm an avid fan of that 30 and under, especially the 20 and under um, pricing. So th- those are my go-tos. And, and I was going to say, it, it's harder nowadays in my mind because everything that comes out a lot of times seems to be at minimum 40 to $50, most likely over 100 yep. uh, or more anymore. So when you're looking at those quote-unquote bottom shelf, because I feel like that's a misnomer because they're not like bad bourbons, but what, what, what do people need to look for and maybe what are some that they should, should give a shot at? Uh, anything bottled and bond. Um, I mean... If it's bottled and bond, it's at least four years old. And most people see these bourbons. I mean, they'll see like Benchmark or Ancient Age, Evan Williams, um, Black Label, uh, some of these other like Kentucky Tavern. They see, they flip it over and they see that age at least 24 months, two years, 36 months, three years, whatever. Uh, And bottled and bond is, I mean, it's at least four years old. So, I mean, Heaven Hill's got a plethora of uh, bottled and bond whiskeys. You've got J.W. Dant, which is my favorite of their bottled and bond line, um, like $14, $15 a bottle. Uh, J.T.S. Brown, like $13, $14 bucks a bottle. Evan Williams White Label or Evan Williams Bottled and Bond, uh, it's like $16 bucks a bottle. And one sleeper one, if you see this, it's in a comes in a plastic jug. It's a half gallon only for like $22, bucks, and it's uh, T.W. Samuels. And it is a, it's all straight flip it over on the back, age four years, bottled and bond at Heaven Hill Distillery. And it's fantastic. And most people just, you know, I'll talk to people and I'll suggest that and they say, ah, I don't want that, it looks cheap. 
Well, it looks cheap because it is cheap, but it's still damn good whiskey. I could serve you that $15 bottle next to the $60 bottle over here or even this new $100 bottle before your whiskey and you probably wouldn't know what's the difference and it might even be your favorite. So it looks that way so it can stay that price. Well, and you know, I always feel like too, we, we talked about this when, when when we talked about starting your whiskey collection, that kind of blind, yeah. doing those blind tasting. I mean, you know, obviously you can't always do that, but um, you know, what is another like because i mean I, I think you even talked about like a ten dollar bottle um i can't think of it right now that oh, i man. even picked it up earl uh, settler yeah i mean when when you're talking that cheap but it's still good and really you can do whatever you want with it too and probably not feel bad about it absolutely man and that's so the uh i mean you you go to bars or you go to restaurants and here you um like there's a there's a place in town i had a guy worked on about today like Oh, and I was a friend last night, they had like $10 old fashions, half off cocktails. And I was like, so what's the old fashioned normally cost? Like $19. I'm like, I'm not paying $19 for an old fashioned. What was in it? He said, Eagle Rare. I said, that's two thirds the price of a bottle of Eagle Rare. I'm not paying $19 on a normal night for that old fashioned. He's like, well, it's good though. I'm like, yeah, it's good. But I mean, I don't care if I go and they use benchmark in that cocktail. Like, but that's how I build my cocktails. Like if I'm making a cocktail at home, I want to experiment. I'm going to experiment with that $10 bottle um that $15 bottle because if it tastes good with that then it's you know it should only taste better with a you know more premium whiskey and that's not always true sometimes uh, those younger sweeter bourbons like that that are around that $15 range just they they need those ingredients in a cocktail and that's kind of what lays it out but uh I think a lot of people I mean even so even those things like I named off like JW Dan and stuff I drink those neat love them neat um, every time, as soon as I get low on a bottle, I'll go grab another one. Uh, it's something else. Come home from work. I don't want to thumb through, you know, the closet I have a whiskey in here, or, or the 70, 80 bottles of that I have out there on my whiskey cart in the kitchen. I just want to come in. I want to grab something, pour an ounce or two, and just enjoy it. And those kind of whiskeys, that's what they're there for. They're they're not there to. Um, say like look at this but I'm sure you could do that to your friends blind as I always say blind because that's the best way to perceive value is blind um, and and that can really knock someone's socks off well and, and it's great advice and and I highly recommend it because like Chad said sometimes yeah it's great to have those those fancy bottles but sometimes there's just something nice about a simple pour easy bottle that you can go back and get again uh, yes. rather quickly and that's the, that's the key there. And don't be afraid to look at the bottom shelf. Do a little bit of research. And uh, Chad, thanks for dropping a little bit of knowledge on that. Hey, no problem, man. Uh, I have one thing that I want to throw out there uh, for the end, and that is um, Wild Turkey 101 is uh, probably the most overlooked bottle on the bottom shelf. <laughs> and and, and um, yes, I, that is a perfect way way to end it. Thank you, Chad, for that extra little tidbit. Hey, no problem, man. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here on the Bar Conversations for our conversation is country musician and Kentucky native J.D. Shelburne. J.D., welcome in. Thanks for having me, man. What's up? Not much. I see you're rocking the U.K. hat 
And if I'm not mistaken, you you were up in Lexington uh, not too long ago to watch a little basketball. I was, man. I actually performed as well. Uh, it's good to be back in my college town for a couple of days. Man, that place keeps growing. It's crazy. I took a swing through campus, and I hardly recognize the, uh, campus these days, man. They've torn down some of the old buildings and uh, put up some new. So uh, pretty crazy. But it felt good to be home for a couple of days to to my college town. I was gonna say, I mean, I, I don't want to make you feel old, but I'm guessing it's been a few years uh, since you graduated. <laughs> yeah, I graduated UK in '07, so as you can imagine, a, a lot of a lot of time has passed since '07. But it just seems like a couple of days ago that I graduated. To be honest, man, it's been a whirlwind <laughs> ride for me uh, since college, man. That's when that's really when my career took a took a step up, and uh, you know, it's just been it's been a great ride, man. It makes it makes life go by way too fast sometimes. Absolutely, and I, and we were talking before I hit the record button. You got a got a son, and you're, I'm sure just watching him grow up is making time fly by too. It is, man. Yeah, Jax is uh, 15 months, getting ready to turn 16 months here next week. So you can, as in, you can imagine, as you have a daughter of your own, uh, it's it's getting more to be a full time job. He's mobile now. He's walking. <laughs> he's into everything. I have literally two autographed basketballs. Uh, from Kentucky players over under my uh, on top of one of my uh, displays in my studio, and every day he comes over and takes it off and throws it across the room, and I chase it every day. But I'm like, it's kind of funny because he has these two huge basketballs that are like twice the size of his head, and he throws them, and it's like I can't get mad at him. It's cute actually, but at the end of every day, I've got to put them back on the shelf like 15 times a day. It's like, oh my gosh. But anyway, it's uh, I'm just glad to see him uh, mobile and, and just having fun living life. And it doesn't get any better. Just uh, you, know, you clean up toys, you put them away. Five seconds later, it looks like a hurricane oh, through, yeah. and you're like, "Okay, we're just gonna leave these out until the end of the day." So you were but. exactly right, man. I, I literally just picked up his toys ten minutes ago, and he came in after a bath, and uh, he threw them all over the floor again. Like he has a ball. I don't know if your daughter had a ball pit, but our son has a ball pit now, mm-hmm. and he he loves to crawl in it and then flop out of it and throw the balls all over the floor. And there's like, she did the exact same thing. There's like 80 balls on the floor. And it's like to pick up 80 balls takes like five, 10 minutes. And it's like, you do that three or four times a day. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, there would be many times I'd be like running over and like just putting my foot down. And she'd be like, why isn't it flipping? And I'm like, no, not today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. So, so, you know, but before we get to the, the music, I, I know you're a Kentucky guy. I don't know if you got a drink tonight or not, but I figured since you're a Kentucky guy, I got a little wheel horse out of uh, Owensboro, made nice. in Owensboro, Kentucky. So uh, that's what I'm drinking. I don't know if you're drinking tonight, but if if you're not, what's what's kind of your, your go-to well, yeah, to be beverage? Honest, I, I'm not a huge drinker, really. I, I do I do have an Evan Williams bourbon sponsor. So mm. uh, I got a shout out to Evan Williams bourbon. They uh, they bought me a new trailer, wrapped it, and uh, paid for every bit of it. And so uh, nice. that's that's been pretty nice to have them. So um, you know I do promote them quite often and. Um, Actually, so that's just, your favorite. No other questions. <laughs> right, exactly. You know what? I, I always like to say, whoever sponsors me is is who we who we'd like to promote. But uh, they've been great, man. We we play we just played a show at their speakeasy. I don't know if you've ever been to Evan Williams Speakeasy in Louisville. Mm, it's it's, it's, it's a cool spot, man. But but a lot of bourbons have sponsored me through the years, man. Angels Envy and, and Jim Beam and uh, gosh, a, a lot of bourbon. Four Roses bourbon. So uh, as a Kentucky boy, man, you you want to be friends with all of them. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. And I was going to say, if I'm not mistaken, you, you play a good bit over at Evan Williams. Um, I'm guessing as part of the deal too. go, go there a couple times, uh, either a, yep. a month or something like that. I do a couple times. Uh, you know, I do, a, uh, do a lot of their, um, social stuff. Uh, I, they have a, like a ticketed event that they uh, do every year. They're speakeasy. We, we go and play that for the, for the clients. And so that's been a lot of fun. 
um, to do that and, and get to know a, a lot of their their clientele. They have a lot. They have a huge clientele. Uh, Evan Williams is, I think, from what I remember, is is the number two bur- selling bourbon in the world behind Jim Beam. So they've got a lot of people to come in every day that um, that you know that they promote their brand and we, we try to turn, you know try to uh, help them out as well. So carrying their trailer on the road with their with their logos all over is uh, is is great for them. Plus we play about 200 shows a year. So you can imagine the miles that we, we put on our truck. So and Brent, it's, been, say that, it's been a wild year, man. I was gonna say that, that that's, I'm saving that one for a little bit later. Cause first, you know, for those that may not know exactly the music you play pure, pure country guy. Um, but how would you, you describe the, what, 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 what people hear once you get on stage or, you know, whether they're listening on Spotify or something like that? Oh, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely country music, uh, with more of a rock splash. You know, I think I'm very authentic. I write about stuff that I, that I've lived. Um, you know, I'm come from a small town, so uh, I grew up playing sports, uh, and I, I kind of write about my upbringing. So I live on it, live, lived on a tobacco farm for many years. And so as you can imagine, um, you know, all that mixed with like kind of a rock flair. I, I grew up uh, listening to country music, but also love '90s rock and, and like Goo Goo Dolls, Matchbox Twenty. So all that kind of mixed in really helped evolve my sound through the years. And, and the more I got to playing guitar, and I'll talk about that soon. Um, uh, you know, teaching teach myself to play, I, I lean more towards '90s rock when I was teaching myself songs. And of course, you know, country was Alan Jackson and, and Garth and all those folks really had a had a big influence on me growing up. And, and then when I got into music on my own, it's just like I kind of combined all those and then started songwriting. So uh, I feel like I've kind of got an authentic sound and story of, of how I got to where I am. Well, and, I, and I've enjoyed your music from, from the get-go. Uh, I got a good question on that one too because uh, the cover art's there's a change in, in how, how you've looked across all of them, but I, I want to save that one for a little later. You kind of talked a little bit about this because UK had a big impact in a sense on uh, on on just you in general and, and your music because of what happened kind of during your time there. Can you explain how you got into music and the impact of, of your, your grandmother's passing? Yeah, man. So I, uh, I grew up in Taylorsville, Kentucky. It's a little small town outside of Louisville. I like to say kind of between 65 and 64, um, little town kind of knew everybody and uh, my whole family grew up there um really my whole life i didn't play any music i sang to the radio we sang on the bus trips to ball games i played sports my whole life from traveling ball to baseball to basketball in high school middle school and so when i got to when i got to meet my senior high school 20 years ago uh, this year 2001 um or 21 20 years ago last year 2001 um i didn't i mean i knew i wanted to go to college i had no idea what i wanted to do music wasn't even a thought um other than just singing on the way to bus trips. We, we take a school bus to our game, so there was nothing else to do back then. There was no cell phone, so you just <laughs> sang on a boombox. And um, when I got in college, I went to I went to Lexington Community College first and um, on UK's campus. And when I got to college um, uh, in 2002, uh, my grandmother passed away back home. Um, and after that, I went back home for a funeral and came across a guitar that she had had that belonged to my uncle, I found out years later. And... Uh, that kind of found its way back to my car into my dorm room uh, and started playing it in between classes and literally just um, in between classes. When I come home on the weekends, I bring it with me really anywhere I went that I could literally play. I would take it and I just became addicted to playing music and, and teaching myself songs. And, and to be honest with you, singing just kind of came naturally. I, I Like I said, I sang on the bus and um, growing up. So I, I, I had tone I already. I really um I knew how to really sing and I just learned it on my own. And so get, when I started playing guitar, kind of two and two went hand in hand together. And uh, the more I played guitar, the, the better I sang and uh, the better I sang, the more I played guitar. And so uh, once I got good enough to really tell people about what I was doing, um, 
I was, you know, playing for friends and people back home started getting word of it. And then that, that kind of led to some paying gigs. And, and then I started branching out to cities and, and building a fan base. And, and then that's when I realized uh, in college uh, that music was uh, kind of on the forefront. I, I didn't know if I, would, I could make a living or a career out of it, but I dang sure wanted to try. And uh, luckily, um, the cards worked out. I ended up going to UK, getting a, a bachelor's degree. I got an associate's first, transferred credits to UK, got a bachelor's at UK, and uh, graduated in 07 and off to Nashville. I went in 2008, and that's kind of where my story starts. And, and I remember reading, too, about uh, when you would go home, you would play uh, in, in an empty church sanctuary, and that, that's kind of, I guess, where you hone, hone the skills of, of being in, on, in a mic and a live yeah. kind of stage. How, how important was that? Oh, that was that was uh, super important. Um, you know, Dad was a deacon of the church. I, I basically grew up in this church uh, in my hometown, and Dad, Dad had keys to it. And uh, I didn't really have access to a PA system back then. I was literally still playing at home in the bedroom with just an acoustic, and it was a smaller acoustic back then. And, um, you know, to have that advantage of dad having keys to the church, I could go down there anytime I wanted to and just pop on the stage lights and, and turn on the PA. And I can't tell you how many times I did that, man. I mean, I did that, uh, 50 to a hundred times, uh, that those couple years, I mean, that's, I lived, lived for it. I mean, to, to the acoustics in an empty church were just something you, you can only just dream about. And, um, that's really where I started teaching myself to like enunciate on a mic, sing on a mic, learn how to sing on PA systems, because it's actually, it's very tricky. Uh, when you're when you're not used to singing on a mic because the just the elevation of your voice and just knowing how to sing on a mic that's where I taught myself and you know over the over the times I spent there at night on weekends you know when my friends were out partying I was at the church singing and playing by myself man it was crazy but that's just what what I geared my life towards and hoping I could find eventually a career out of it and I was making a lot of great friends and making some money along the way and and one thing kind of led to another. And, uh, as the months and years went on, uh, became more popular and got more gigs. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a crazy, crazy ride. I mean, I've been very, very thankful, very blessed with a, with a lot of people in my corner. Ah, sometimes you, you just never know how, how that journey is going to go. And it's always, it's always really cool to just look back and kind of see the, the steps that were taken along the way. You, you said, you know, you kind of grew up on Matchbox 20, the nineties, uh, rock, but also, you know, country was pretty big then too, with, with some, some big names. Is that kind of what? you grew up listening to or was there were there or was the uh as i, I told uh, josh gallagher last week uh, was the ipod on shuffle uh, <laughs> like we would say these these days you know you know growing up or or what what were you listening to just a little bit of everything yeah you know uh back in in the early 90s was mc hammer and, and uh, garth and i mean I had a wide variety of, of stuff i love um did you have the hammer pants? I did not, but I had the. I actually had the hammer. The hammer action figure, though. It was, I guess it was like a doll, but it was an action figure. It came with a boombox. I had that because it came with a cassette tape. It's funny that I say MC Hammer because you can't touch this. It was out like 32 years ago this past week. So I saw that pop up in my Twitter feed. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I feel old now. But uh, I mean, I listened to MC Hammer, to, to Garth, to Alan Jackson. Um, I loved when Kenny came out. Tim McGraw came out when I turned 16. All those folks kind of resonated with my sound. And then. When I got in college, I remember one of the first records I bought, rock records, was Foo Fighters and then the Goo Goo Dolls, Matchbox, Tony and Hootie, Montel Jordan, all those folks I love. Also, I had a, actually a wide variety of people I listened to that really kind of got me into music. And, and at the time of the 90s, end of the 2000s, when I was listening is when music started kind of to evolve and change. I mean, country was more rock and roll and, and uh, you know, some of these rock bands were coming country and. I mean, I still remember when the, when the first Kid Rock record came out my sophomore year of high school. I'm like, man, this is amazing. 
And it's just like, who is this guy? You know, and it's just like, I still remember all these things. And so all those little marks along, along my timeline really helped shape, uh, you know, who I listened to and what I searched for when I was teaching myself to play. Hey, I, I remember all that. I'm only a few few years younger than you, so I, th- those all resonate with me. <laughs> um, but the only difference w- would be when I, I played sports, instead of having the boombox on the bus, we, we might have had a little, you know, the st- actual CD player. Yeah, <laughs> I had a Sony CD. <laughs> it's funny. When I when I go back to my parents' house and stay for the weekend, I, a lot of stuff that I had when I was a kid still in my old room. And, and the last time I went home, I found the old Sony Discman. And I still have this, the Discman at home. I'm like, I wonder if it still works. It's crazy that I still have that. Brings back old memories. I had that, and then I had a car that had a cassette player, and I had the little converter thing that I could actually listen to my CDs. I remember that's how how it was. So, um, you know, you talk about going home, you know, growing up in Taylorsville. How how big of an impact did Kentucky and and your hometown of Taylorsville have on on just who you are and the music that you kind of write about and and play? Yeah, Taylorsville is uh, has been um, just a huge. uh, influence to me i mean it's where i got my start uh it's where i played my first couple shows i remember the first time i played in taylorsville um i played my hometown church on a sunday morning no one even church i mean they knew who i was i knew my family um you know i played sports all through school so people knew my name but no one knew i was playing guitar and singing so i think i think i shocked a lot of people but i I remember um you know playing uh the spencer county homecoming about uh 2005 and uh i think about 50 people showed up and back then man 40 people was a lot. And to get 50 was just like, I mean, I'm playing on a gooseneck trailer. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't, you know, it was just where I started. I, I, back then that was big time. And, uh, you know, I started on a lot of those small stages and, and playing in my hometown. So I made a lot of, I made a lot of friends and family that supported me kind of where I'm from. So I, w- I tell people a lot when they're trying to get started, you know, become a name in your hometown first and then branch out because that's exactly what I did. And, um, you know, you, 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 those people tell their friends and family, and it's always nice to have hometown support. I think they, I think most of them support you even, even more that you're from there, from, from where they're from. And so I really excelled at, 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 uh, you know, building a ton of fans there first before I really went to Louisville, uh, to Lexington, moved to Nashville. So I, uh, it was always great to have hometown support and, uh, and they, they've just accepted my music with open arms. And, um, you know, I, I realized, uh, last year when I went home to do uh, my latest record concert, about 10,000 people showed up. So you can imagine how much, how much just, joy. Just a few more than the 50. Right? Yeah. You can imagine how much joy <laughs> that I had when I, when I could hear a roaring crowd through a closed bus bus door that day and, and seeing the people in the crowd coming to support my music, man. And it's, it was overwhelming, but I, but I, I knew I, I built it. I, I, I've been building this for years. So, um, uh, it's just, it's been, it's been a very rewarding. Well, and you talked about that journey, you know, playing there, just basically being a road warrior playing almost anywhere that would, you know, you can get some money and, yep. and, and ha- have some fun. What's it been like to, to make that jump from small clubs to a little bit bigger to a bigger city than down to, you know, finally Nashville. Yeah. You know, I played a lot of uh, small clubs in college uh, in Louisville. I played, Louisville was a great scene for me. That's really where I started to branch out and really make a name for myself. Started getting big calls for, for bigger gigs. I remember the first time I played Churchill Downs infield on Derby week, in 2008, we opened for Kelly Pickler, and, and at the time, I was playing pizza joints in Louisville in front of. Uh, I was selling out crowds, bringing. I was really ma- making these bars capacity, but there was, but I was playing in front of, you know, 75 people. And when I got the call to open for Kelly Pickler at Churchill Downs Derby Week, there, there was like 10,000 people there. So you can imagine the adrenaline rush that was going from a pizza joint uh, to the infield Derby Week at Churchill, and um, th- those those gigs started coming more and more faster, and. Uh, 
you know, the fairs and festivals, you, you just get such huge crowds and, and, uh, they're better paying too. So I was making really good money. <laughs> I was making really good money as opposed to playing, you know, pizza clubs in Louisville when I first started out. So I tried to get as many fairs and festivals as I could, but I didn't really have that much of a following. I mean, I had a following, but I didn't have that much of an EPK that would really help me get my name out. I hadn't been on CMT yet. I hadn't had any radio success. I hadn't had much under my belt other than local gigs. So I really couldn't sell myself as a, as a regional act other than I was just still local. So, um, you know, those days early on, I really try to, to teach myself and try to find ways to, to get more fairs and festivals because, man, um, you know, I was going from playing bars from playing um, two to four, not four sets a night to playing a festival and just playing one 40 minute set and being done and making more money. So it was like I was trying to figure out how to get more festivals. And as I became more popular and getting more gigs, my EPK started building, uh, which is a promo. And for those who don't know. And, um, th- those things, everything just kind of started to fall into place. And I was st- just working around the clock, man. Um, you know, just like you find something that you want to, you want, you love and you want to do, you just trying to find ways to get better and to find more contacts and opportunities. And that's what I, that's what I've excelled at. And, and I was reading too, cause you, you, I think you had this thought when you were making that commit, that full kind of that full-time commitment. Cause it's one thing to, to say you're going to do it. It's another to actually do it. Cause you'd gotten your degree. You were thinking about going to Nashville I mean, what what pushed pushed you over that edge to kind of make that decision? And you know, obviously, it worked out very well. But uh, you know, yeah, I, I mean, think it had to be a little bit scary at first. It did. I think my parents really pushed me over the edge because I got to be honest. When I was in college, um, I had just graduated UK and I moved back home um, for the summer, and I worked this this terrible job at this uh, uh, at this company in Louisville. That just, I mean, I was working with people that had that had no college degree that that were, that were like, you know, were getting a second chance at life. And I was just sitting in this room and one day, and I was doing this computer work and I was like, I was thinking to myself, man, why am I here? I just spent five years in college. These people I'm working around never been to college and then we're making the same money. And it's just like, why? And so I remember one, I was still playing locally around, the, around Louisville and the new Albany. I had triangle talent booking me some smaller shows, but at the time they were big shows. I didn't know any different. I was just getting paid to play and, I was kind of at a crossroads in my life where I was like, gosh, do I move to Nashville and give this sh- a shot or do I just stay in Louisville and just, you know, raise a family there and, and hopefully it works out on the local scene. And it just wasn't enough for me. And so I remember I had played at, um, at Steinert's pub in New Albany, Indiana one night. This has been um, probably 2008 and, um, or no, 2007. And I just graduated college and I came home one night. My parents were sitting on the couch and uh, it was about midnight one night. And I knew something was wrong because when I got up to the back of the house, all the lights on the living room were, were, were on. So I was like, okay, something's up. And when I walked in that day uh, or that night, uh, mom and dad sat me down. I was like, hey, we, if, if you want to go to Nashville, like you, you got to go to Nashville. Like we don't want to hear about it anymore if you don't. So you either, you, you know, it's just like you either go or, or, or you stay home and forget it. So, um, the next two weeks I spent looking at sending resumes online and I ended up dad and I drove to Nashville. Um, one, I think a week after that meeting, my parents just sat me down and had a heart to heart and said, we'll support you. You got your degree. Let's go to Nashville and see what you can do. And they helped me get down here. And I was, I was, when I moved down here in February of 08 and, uh, I remember the first weekend that my parents, they dropped me off. We unloaded my U-Haul. They stayed a couple of days, helped me get settled in. And that day, that night they went home a tornado hit our parent hit my, my parents' farm and just disintegrated some of the barns, tore up some of the house, tore down trees. So it was kind of crazy, man. I was, I was wanting to go back home and that really kind of wanted, because that happened at home, I wanted to be home. And, but, uh, for some reason I stayed, man, I, I just, uh, 
I was kind of one of those guys that didn't like to start a job and not finish it. And so um, luckily I stayed and kept hustling and I worked a couple side jobs at healthcare companies to make ends meet and, and uh, started making some money on music. And uh, I just always were looking for that next opportunity. And uh, that's how, that's how my journey started, man. And uh, it's, it's been, You're still it's, going. it's been a crazy man. I'm still going and um, it's been very, it's been re- very rewarding, man. I, I'm, I'm very blessed to do, get to, to get to do what I do for a living. And I got some great plans. And, and you, you talk about it too. You, you know, you hit like 200 shows a, a year. You've some, you know, I, I think I read you what, 2,500 shows <laughs> in just a, a couple of years. I mean, what's it, it, it's, it's like, I mean, to perform, I mean, is that just a rush for you? Is that just something that there's just, you kind of can't explain unless you do it. Yeah. It's, it still is a rush, man. I, I get a rush off booking shows. I mean, because you know, you, you will and deal price, you know, like, you know, what can we get you for? can we get you this? Can we get you for this? And can you do full band acoustic? So I, I get a, I get a rush off booking cause I book a lot myself. And then of course I have teams that I have a team that books me as well. And they'll, they'll, they'll run these bookings through me. So it really just depends. But I mean, you know, when I, when, when I perform, I still get the rush. I mean, there's nothing like it, especially my hometown show. I mean, we got to open up for ZZ top this year and to go, to go out in front of ZZ top at a sold out crowd in Iroquois Amphitheater in Louisville, man, that, that was a rush. I can't even explain. Um, but you know, I, I get that rush a lot and I've gotten to play a, a bunch of big shows where you know, the, the crowd's just pumped or, you know, um, uh, they're just amped to sit here, you sing and to see you perform. And it's, 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 uh, it's a great ride if you can just find your niche and, and, um, find your fans and just stay loyal to them and just keep building them because I'm living proof of that. I mean, my fans would just come and dance in front of me all night long and sing my songs. And it's just like, you think they get tired of my music, but they just keep wanting more. It's just like. It's it's crazy, but very but very very humbling. So uh, the live shows is exactly where I've made my fans and where I've set myself apart from the rest. And is there like a favorite place that you've been or, or gotten to perform, or maybe you know just where, where you've gotten to perform with someone like a ZZ Top and some of the other big names that I know you've been kind of fortunate to open for or play with? Yeah, I've played a lot of great places. Um, I gotta say. Uh, I saw my first concert in Freedom Hall in like '92. My parents took my brother and I, and Garth Garth played the show. And uh, the first time I got to sing at uh, at Freedom Hall was um, was a pretty significant moment for me because I I spent my whole life actually uh, with, with you know growing up going there. And it's funny. I'm gonna show you this right here. I, th- I actually have it on my wall here. In 2016, I actually framed this. I actually framed the ticket. That's a ticket from the Freedom Hall and opened up for Craig Morgan, uh, a part of the Mid America Truck Show, and that was monumental for me to, to know that you know my name was on a Ticketmaster ticket, and then I got to play Freedom Hall, the, the arena where so many greats played before me, and it was it was packed. And so, you know, to play there it was pretty awesome. Uh, I got to play the State Fair main stage at Cardinal Stadium several times before they t- tore the old stadium down. I played Rep Arena. I got to do the Ryman Auditorium for a for a, a gig once in Nashville. Um, but uh, I got to play Kentucky Speedway. Uh, I played a Chicago White Sox game. So a lot of those places were like huge facilities that I didn't even think I could even get. I could even get that far, honestly. And um, once I got there, I was like, "It's funny because some of these venues you play, you're like, oh, man, I bet it's gonna be. It's gonna sound amazing, and it sounds terrible. You're like, <laughs> how could this venue sound terrible? It's like it's like iconic, but um, that's happened a couple of times. But there are, there have been some some venues that are like, wow, I could sing on this every night. Uh, well, in, 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 you know, I think too, like 
back to just all the different places you've played, how different is it playing from the pizza joint, you know, in front of 70 people, 50 people to, you know, a, a tour? I mean, how, how different is that for you? Is it all kind of the same in a, in a way? Well, the sound, the sound doesn't, doesn't even compare. Um, you know, when you do, uh, you play a pizza joint with like a couple tops and a monitor and, you know, you don't, you may have subs, you may not. So, you don't, you know, you don't feel the kick of the drum of the kick drum, but then you play a festival like, or a place like Iroquois Amphitheater or, um, gosh, I've done so many festivals through the years. Uh, it's just, it's just no comparison. I mean, you know, when you play in these big PA systems, and we played hometown rising a couple years ago and Tim McGraw headlined it. And I think they had, I remember counting and this shouldn't, this wouldn't even matter to anybody else, but I think I counted like 25 subs. And I'm like, if you can imagine, you know, most pizza joints had one sub, if, if that, but you play on a festival, it's got 25 subs and it's like, it literally rattles your insides and like to, to you can go, feel the music. Oh, you can totally <laughs> yeah. feel the music and it just amps you up that and you're even more hyped up for the show. And, and it's just like, you know, when you go from those bars, cause most of the bars I played grow like in the area, most of them either had terrible PA system. You had to rent your own or they didn't have anything at all. And so, um, or, or what they had was one speaker worked of the two and you just made it work. And so it's just like, I remember those days, man. And it's just like, Back then, uh, I just was lucky to be playing, and now I look back, I'm kind of spoiled. I'm like, gosh, you know, if I'd have known, I brought my own PA, you know, but that's part of it. Well, and you know, I, I read too. You know, you talk about the Taylorsville show where you had ten thousand people um, show up for your your album release, and and just how cool that is. What, how important is it for you to keep coming back here and playing? Because you know, some people they'll come back from time to time to their hometowns, but it's not maybe the place they play a lot. But I mean, you, you stay around in Kentucky and, and kind of make sure people know, still, still go, Hey, that's JD. I yeah. remember him. Yeah. You know, um, that, I feel like Kentucky's really where I started and, uh, I've got a lot of fans back home and I, I really enjoy playing there more than any other place in the country, uh, because people know my music, they know who I am. Um, they, they, they love what I do. And so it's, it's hard to, it's hard to stare away from those crowds because they really made you who you are. And they really, it's just, it's just fun. I've gotten to know my fans and fans usually turn into friends if they truly support you. And, um, you know, just going back home to, it's just like, we still keep getting calls and you know, people are like, I've had people say, don't you ever get tired of playing Kentucky? And it's like, no, not really. You know, I, I, it's like, why not go back to the place that loves you and sings every song you ever recorded and, buys tickets to your shows. I mean, my hometown show, I sold $12,000 in merch in one night. Why wouldn't I go back home? It's like these people, we, these people will buy anything. And, um, you know, it's just the, the biggest merch nights I've ever had has been in my home state. And so, uh, we'll always go back. And I feel like you also got to stay out there back home because we don't want people to forget about you. I mean, there's artists coming out every day that think they're the next big star or, or got a great song out or whatever. And it's just like, you know, I don't, I don't want those, I don't want, you know, my fans to forget about me. So I'm, I'm always trying to stay relevant and stay in the area. And uh, luckily, luckily we still keep getting booked. Well, and even your, your latest album, uh, straight from Kentucky, you know, it has that, that Kentucky vibe. I mean, how much of Kentucky is in that and, and what can folks expect when, when they play that, that album? Yeah. You know, uh, when I wrote the song straight from Kentucky, I, I was actually had just been selected to be on the cover of the Kentucky tourism guide. So as you can imagine that felt, that felt pretty, pretty humbling to be selected out of all the artists in Kentucky. They picked me to be on the cover of the tourism guide. So that album was, was kind of coming out about the same time I, I found out I got that opportunity. So I wrote, I wrote that uh, about being from the state and, and just how proud I am to be from the bluegrass state and 
and uh, it helps me share that with with the world. I mean, I play in Vegas, Chicago, New York, and every time I go to these places, I have no idea what Kentucky's about. I mean, people literally think that we don't wear tennis shoes in Kentucky. I'm like, that's a joke. I'm like, that's a lie. And it's like I tell people all the time, like, this is what Kentucky's about. The bourbon you're drinking, we made. And it's like the horses you're betting on, we run. And it's like people don't – I try to educate people that don't understand it, but they, but everyone wants to visit us. And I try to tell that in my story. And, and my record – I think my record is, is, is uh, probably the best collection of songs I've recorded because I really took time. You know, we had a pandemic to go through, so I spent more time listening, uh, more time writing. I found a producer, Phil, Phil O'Donnell, produced my record. He's, he's got, you know, huge numbers under his belt. He's written number ones for everybody. And – and to have him on my side, you know, was was uh, was huge. So um, I feel like I got a great collection of songs. And so far, I mean, it went, it went to number nine for us on the iTunes. And to me, as an artist that's not signed with a with a big time record label at Sony or Warner, like that was a big deal. I mean, I, I was surpassing my heroes on this on that week of my album release. So um, you can imagine how much pride that felt to uh, to, to experience that. And, and it's all because uh, real fans, fans that have followed me since my pizza joint days and bought my record well and, and a lot of good songs on there uh hometown in, in my head hometown in headlights i mean stuff like that i mean were you dr- just drawn from kind of things that you experienced while while whether it was here or, or even when you were working with folks writing yeah it kind of was you know but it's funny man i uh i think I'm, not to really brag on myself but i feel like i've always had a good ear for good songs i remember back when i when i was a kid mom and mom or dad would buy me a record at walmart and i could go through the record in my disman and I could tell you what single was going to be next. I don't know why I just had a good good ear for a good song. And this is before music was even thought of. So, I mean, I was literally picking Clay Walker's hits before they released. I remember when, when uh, George Strait's Blue Clear Sky came out. I knew exactly what songs on the record were going to be hits. And sure enough, they were. And it's just like that trait I have, I have used since I moved to Nashville. And, like, I feel like I just have a good ear for songs. And I've just listened to so many songs. I know what a, a good hook is. And um, as I've released songs through the years, my selection's gotten better. And when I put this record out, I just, man, like the hometown of my headlights, I didn't write. A, a buddy of mine sent me a, a CD full of demos, and I heard that song, and I just couldn't stop listening to it. And I'm like, I've got to cut that. I don't know what it is about that song, but um, but we did, and, and CMT picked it up and took it to number two on the chart. It was number two on the 12-pack uh, a few months ago. So, you know, I feel like I've been blessed with a good ear um, about uh, about finding good songs, and uh, luckily... I don't know where I got that, but it's just, it's worked out. That's a good gift. It's a good thing. I mean, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, I, I joked a little bit beforehand, you know, looking at the album covers for some of the singles and stuff, <laughs> I feel like there's a change in your look. Uh, can you explain the, the hair God, at, uh, through the years? Oh, I know. Right. Um, I think when I moved to Nashville in 2008, I had just grown my hair out. So I had hair down to my shoulders. And uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why I did that. I think I, w- I really wasn't. I was a country artist, but everyone was like, "Dude, you're not a cowboy." And I'm like, "I know I'm not a cowboy. Cowboy hats. I look dumb <laughs> in cowboy hats." So that was never a, an option for me. And I started spiking my hair a little bit. Then I started growing my hair out in college. And um, I, the, the more I the more I grew my hair out, the more I didn't want to cut it because I'm like, it takes so long to grow out. I didn't want to cut it. Well, I met a publicist back in like 2016, I believe. And uh, she was like, I think the first thing I want to do for you is change your look. Let's, let's make you look younger. And she's like, I think you look younger with shorter hair. I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, you look, you, you look, you you will look much younger. And I got the perfect person to do it. So the lady who uh, styles for Carrie Underwood actually cut my hair the first time. And let me tell you, man, it was heartbreaking because all this hair I'd spent a decade growing was just like falling to the floor. And I'm like, oh my God. But once I got the hair cut up on the floor and 
I started spiking the hair up. She, she taught me up some styles with, with some different gels and I actually really enjoyed it. And I, and I think it, it helped, you know, I, I remember that post that day for some reason on Facebook was just, I got so many hits. Cause I just posted a picture of the hair on the floor and it's like coming soon. And everybody's like, you did cut your hair. <laughs> the good old days, man. I'm, I'm glad it's gone. I uh, forget the long hair. I'll never go back. Uh, your, your wife is not going to approve that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. I think she likes the short hair. Yeah. Now, now you, you also talk, talk about, you know, you know, going home, different things like that. I also reading up, giving backs a, a, a big thing for you. Very important. Um, whether that's raising money for various charities, you know, playing in your hometown, different things like that. Why, why is that so important to you and so big for you? Well, I feel like, you know, uh, God blessed me with a talent and, you know, growing up in church, my parents always taught like to give back. And that's one thing, um, that I've always taken pride in. And now that I have a platform with fans, like, I feel like I should take more opportunities because I have such a large network of fans that, that can pitch in and help. And, um, you know, um, I just, that's really how I got started. Playing charity events was literally the first thing I started doing at, out of college to really get my name out. I mean, I was playing um, events for Susan Coleman, for St. Jude. I did a, I used to host a St. Jude uh, benefit, a softball game with a hometown radio station, and we'd, we'd raise money for St. Jude kids. And then I'd go to, di- I would just give it different charities, blessings in a backpack. And those, those are really, in my early days, what really helped helps kind of get my name out. And that's why I continue to do it. Of course, I just love to get back. And then I've, as I've gotten older and um, I've gotten a, a larger fan base and I've gotten, a, you know, info on helping other charities I didn't really know anything about. It's just like I feel like I'm I just, you know, people are amped up more to more to contact me and stuff. And so um, I remember this past year I was reading Facebook downstairs on the couch one night and I read this post that a friend of mine posted that that she had um, her, her best friend had lost her home to a fire, had like two kids, husband. And it was like two weeks before Christmas, they lost all their gifts and they were homeless. And I was like, man, something just hit me. And so I put a thing out on Facebook and ended up re- raising several thousand dollars for them. Um, just because of that post I read and, um, and fans, I have a lot of great diehard loyal fans that, that love to give. And so I was able to give this family a check for several thousand dollars on the, the day before Christmas. And just, just because I wanted to, and I feel like, um, you know, with, with, uh, an army of fans like I have and, and, Really, anything's possible, and helping charities is something I've always loved to do. Well, and there's nothing wrong with, with giving back and, and being able to use the platform that that, that you've been able to build up. And, and you know, kind of as I finish this off, you know, we're in a new year. You know, you got, got the album that just came out last, last summer. What's what's in store for you in 2022, and what can folks expect this year? Yeah, man. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you letting me tell my story, and um, I'm hoping uh, this year is better than the last. I mean, I feel like last year's going to be hard to top. It's, last year was the biggest year of my career. Um, every year since, since 14, I've, I've, I've had a more successful year the next year. So um, I'll get a little nervous every year because I do a lot and uh, I get to achieve a lot of goals and, and uh, meet a lot of fans. And it's like 2021 was, was pretty awesome. Uh, we were, we did people magazine, had a top 10 records, easy top show. I did, uh, I mean, I did 150 uh, fa- like fairs, festivals, events. And so, um, but, you, but I always tell myself every year, like, I know I'm going to get more shows or I'm going to surpass or get some cool goal, but, um, we'll just keep, uh, riding off the success of this record and play as many shows as we can and try to get booked as much as we can. Um, one of my all time goals is to play, is to play the Opry. So I'm hoping, uh, that Grand Ole Opry calls that's, that's been a, that's been a goal since moving to Nashville and, and, uh, we'll just keep making the name and building the brand and, and see what happens. Pretty excited to, to keep it rolling. 
Well, and, and like I said, you, it, it's been a, a crazy journey so far and a, a lot of good things along the way, a lot of good music. And uh, if you want to find out more about JD, jdshellburn.com. You can find him on all the social media as well. JD, I, I appreciate this. This has been fun, and it's always good to talk to, you know, that we're that little blue and white UK uh, <laughs> uh, hat there. I, I love it, you know, talking to a Kentucky guy. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for, thanks so much for having me on, and, and uh, thanks for letting me share my story. And I love what you do, man. And, uh, Let's, you know, here's my goal this year is to see Kentucky basketball win a national championship in person. So uh, we'll see what happens, man. And uh, I'll be reading on the cats. And, and uh, thanks for sharing my story. And we'll catch up soon. Absolutely.